Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. It's interesting for us to think about where this starts. Saul of Tarsus was first introduced at the end of the seventh chapter of Acts. He's said to be a young man who was there witnessing the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven that had been appointed by the apostles to do ministry in the Greek-speaking community. As the eighth chapter of Acts starts, we are told that Saul was in full agreement with the killing of Stephen. Following his presence at Stephen's stoning, we are told that Saul began to travel around the area, pulling believers out of their houses and dragging them to prison. As we can see in those earlier bits and the start of today's text, Paul is, Saul is full of zeal due to his deep commitment to his own tradition. And he's completely opposed to all that Jesus taught simply because it doesn't really jibe with his own understanding of the text. The things that Jesus taught, the way his followers lived together supporting one another in their communities, their failure to simply comply with the commands of the religious leaders has Saul and others like him angry that those who follow Jesus won't simply do what they're told. And yet, the early church is growing. The message of love that Jesus taught, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the communities, is obviously making a difference in their relationships with God and with one another and in their experiences of life. And so we hear that Saul is full of venom and violence directed at these small communities. But I can't help but think about where the story winds up going next. Which makes me think of that journey of faith that each of us is on as well. As we consider our own path, our own journey of faith, where was the beginning was it after we were already perfect? Or does it maybe look a little bit more like Saul? I mean, I'm not saying any of us are out here dragging believers out into the streets or anything, but we each had our own things that we had to figure out how to put behind us. Things that God had to reach into our lives to pull us past. As he approached Damascus, a light from heaven encircled him, and he heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? We are told that Saul had gone to the high priests to get letters authorizing him to go out and take any followers of Jesus that he might find as prisoners back to Jerusalem. He's essentially given an open warrant to arrest anyone he finds following the way of Jesus. And yet listen to what it is that Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? Jesus doesn't ask why is he harassing the community of believers, those who are following his teaching. He asks why Saul is harassing him. And if we think about all that Paul has to say later in his letters about the community of believers being the body of Christ, 
This makes so much sense. The community of believers, these communities that Saul is harassing and arresting, they are the body of Christ in the world. Saul may be thinking only of stopping what he sees as a heresy, but his attacks against the communities are attacks against Jesus. And this is important for us to bear in mind today as we think of where we are as church. Saul was so certain that his way was the right way. The apostles and those that followed them merely spread the word of all that Jesus had taught them and let others make their own decisions about what that meant for their lives. They created their own little communities where they shared with and supported one another in all things. They healed those that were sick, spoke with power of God's love for all people, But Saul and others like him were so threatened by that that they reached out with violence against them. When we think about our contemporary world, we know how things like this often go. One side thinks that they are right and everyone needs to believe as they do. But the other side thinks they're also right and everyone should believe how they do instead. And then there's usually more than one side, more than two sides, more than three sides maybe. All trying to think that they're right to come out on top. And then once violence enters the picture, soon both sides are responding with violence. That's a world we recognize. That's what we expect. But due to the teachings of Jesus, we see that his followers were not responding with violence to those who were coming and doing violence to them. Saul opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. Saul had been blind to his own actions. Blind to the truth of Jesus, blind to the fate that he, the, the pain that he was causing to others. And now his blindness becomes physical as well. But where we might think he deserved to be punished for his violent actions, while it's easy to think that he got what he deserved, this is not where the story ends. As I read the scripture text earlier, I I skipped over a few verses to keep the passage brief, but also to keep us focused on Saul's conversion. But there's another important part of the story here. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias who came in at the end of our text. Jesus appears to him in a vision and tells him that he's to go to Saul and to lay hands on him to restore his sight. Now, as you can imagine, Ananias knows exactly who Saul is. He has a good guess as to why it is that Saul had been coming to Damascus. And as you can imagine, he doesn't exactly jump right up and say, Yes, Lord, I will run right over and do that. Instead, his response is a bit more like, What you talking about, Jesus? I think Ananias' reaction is much more relatable to us. Saul has been present at stonings. He has arrested many members of the community of believers He's in town to continue to seek out those who are following Jesus. 
Why does he deserve my help? And yet that's exactly what Jesus is asking of him. Rather than responding with more violence, rather than returning evil for evil, Jesus sends out one of his disciples to lay hands on Saul so that Saul may learn a different way of being in the world. And as hard as that is for us to hear, as hard as that call is for us to follow, that is exactly what Ananias does and exactly what we continue to be called to do as well. Flakes fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Ananias came to the house where Saul was staying. He laid hands on him as he had been instructed, and immediately Saul could see again. The restoration of his physical sight is a metaphor for his newly opened eyes, eyes that now understand the truth of who Jesus is and the power of his love for all people. With this new truth within him, Saul begins to eat again and spends several days with the disciples in Damascus, learning from them learning all that he can from them about this man, Jesus, that he had been persecuting. And then he returned to the road, but with a different mission, a new mission. He began to proclaim in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And many of us know where this goes next. Saul, his Aramaic name, began to be more commonly known by his Greek name, Paul. And he traveled throughout the Mediterranean proclaiming the love of Jesus and inspiring others to recognize themselves as the gathered community, as the body of Christ. He wrote numerous letters to the churches that he started and to others, including the churches at Corinth, at Galatia, and Ephesus, and even in Rome, he sent out others to these communities, including Silas, Timothy, Phoebe, other followers that he had met and helped guide along the way. He argued with the other early Christian leaders in Jerusalem about the inclusion of believers who did not follow the Jewish customs. The zeal he had previously shown was transformed by the love of Jesus and formed into something positive in the community. And I am really struck by the good news of this message. Jesus' love for us doesn't stop because of the things that we have done. There is always room for love to work in and change our lives to reform us for the better. And for that, I am thankful. Jesus doesn't wait for us to be perfect before we are called. Jesus doesn't wait for us to decide what is right and what is wrong on our own. Jesus is always reaching out to us, calling us, offering us love and forgiveness and as I reflected on this story this week and the change that came over Saul, who later would prefer to be known as Paul, I was reminded of a story that the seminary intern at our church in Chicago shared with my wife and I one Sunday. 
During children's church, he'd been discussing with the kids this story of Saul's conversion and how through this conversion, at least partially, was indicated by a change of Saul's name. And while it doesn't occur right away, Paul is always referred to as Saul before his conversion. And then gradually, we see in the stories, they start to refer to him as Paul, which was the transliteration of his Hebrew name into Greek. And it is Greek name, it is his Greek name, Paul, by which he is best known. And while this intern was talking with the kids about this name change as an indicator of a change in his life, my son Julian piped up to say, you mean like FN2187 became Finn after he left the First Order in Star Wars? He'd been a stormtrooper, and he left the First Order at the beginning of Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and as he comes to realize how evil the First Order is, he decides to run away, and in the process, he's given the new name, Finn, as an indication of his new life, and he eventually finds himself joining in the resistance to fight against the First Order. And I have to say, I was so proud of my son when I heard this story, and the way that he was able to make this connection between faith and this story that he had seen and heard in everyday life. But at the same time, as with many metaphors, we must be careful in how we interpret them. You see, Finn saw the first order that he had been leaving as an evil thing that he had been a part of and that he'd made a conscious choice to reject. But Saul had an experience of Jesus' love that showed him a better way to live and to move in the world. He doesn't denounce his Jewish faith. It wasn't that it was evil. He had just chosen a different way of being. And now instead he raises up the teachings and love of Jesus rather than denouncing what he had known before. And this is actually summed up quite well in a different Star Wars character, Rose, who was in the more recent Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. And during a battle, Finn is trying to sacrifice himself in hopes of maybe saving others. And instead, Rose swoops in, knocking him out of way moments before he would have died. And when he asks her why, she says, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. This almost perfectly sums up the remainder of Paul's ministry. He went from fighting what he hated, arresting and even killing the followers of Jesus, to saving what he came to love, rejecting violence and preaching about Jesus' love for all. The love that Jesus showed him even in the midst of violence and the hatred that Saul was showing to Jesus and his followers had a profound impact on Saul and on the church even to this day. God's work in the world through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit still today is to seek out and to save the lost, the broken, the sinful. The ministry of the church still is to offer 
us forgiveness instead of punishment. The Easter miracle proves that God loves and forgives all of us. Friends, betrayers, doubters, skeptics, even God's own enemies. As we prepare to go back into the world beyond the doors of the church, I want to leave you with a bit of proof of the power of God's love for us. We've had a brief look today at what Saul was known for as he first became known to the community of believers. And many of us know the depth of commitment that Paul came to have for spreading the love of Jesus throughout the world he knew. In the longest of his letters to be included in the Bible, his letter to the Romans, Paul has this to say, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord, not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or height or depth or any other thing that is created. Paul could say that because he knew that firsthand. He knew the things he had done in his life. He knew where his journey had started. And yet he could still say beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's love can never be taken from us. If Jesus can love and call this man, there is truly hope for us all. Thanks be to God.